Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number six. This week on the Thinklings Podcast, we're going to break from our normal mold, and we're going to discuss a topic together. And we thought that a good topic to discuss would be the subject of reading and more specifically how to read better or to improve in reading. And we're saying this not from a posture of people who read really well and have figured it out, but men who are desperately trying to get better at reading. (laughs) And so we have kind of shot this idea around uh, in text messages and phone messages throughout the day. And we've kind of come up with our tips, thoughts on how to improve in reading, how to read in a better way. So I'm not going to start. Someone else. Why should we care about reading well? Well, why don't you tell me, Dr. Little? You're the, you're the doctor in the room. There are several reasons why we should learn to read and to read well. The biggest being that the divine revelation given to us was given to us in word form, not video form. To be good readers entails becoming a good reader of the book, not just any book. As a ministerial school, we're seeking to train pastors and teachers. What do they need to interact with but literature? There's a lot of literature out there, so we need to learn to read well so that we can interact fairly with uh, somebody that's of an opposing view. We need to interact uh, broadly with the literature that our, our people are reading and interacting with. There's a couple of reasons why we should learn to read well. I think it's the same reason writing is important. So we all would say the reason writing is important is because writing is thinking. And so if you write a paper or write something, you can then look at your thoughts and critique them. And reading is a form of thinking. And so if you want to exercise your mental muscle and you want to be clearer and have better clear thoughts and analysis of what's going on around you, I think reading will help you. I also think that every wise Christian I can think of, influential Christian, is a reader. It not always that, you know, 10 books a week or something, but I don't think I know of any Christian who's been very influential and helped people who is averse to, like opposed to reading. I, I don't think I can think of anyone who says, you know, I don't want to read anything. Thinking thoughts and analyzing them is, is a very helpful thing. So I think reading's good. Well, and going down that road, someone who is averse to reading, what is the alternative? In today's day and age, if you don't read well, you're completely dependent on other forms of communication, like TV, <clears throat> podcasts, like uh, hey, Twitter, no. news outlets. You're completely dependent on, and this is where you get into the reading as a conversation, you're completely dependent on someone else's interpretation and presentation of a certain event or of an idea and being able to have a conversation with someone in written form is a different discourse altogether. It's a different way of transferring truth and uh, it's, it's more effective in helping us imagine and think and come to a point of understanding. Imagine. You mean you imagine when you read? You should. <laughs> more than you do when you watch any video. How is that relevant to the Christian life? I think the imagination is how you visualize stuff and how you analyze things. So if you can't imagine things, you can't read the Bible. That's just it. We were having a discussion. I was having a discussion in another context recently. We were talking about justice and injustice. 
And the problem with Christians and the way that they think about justice mm. is that they've never seen it. We live in a world, we all live as humans in a world where we've never seen what real justice is. We have ideas presented to us. We have had people do just things, but we've never seen a world where there is perfect justice. And we read about that in the scriptures. We read about a day when every wrong will be right. Mm. But how do we conceive of that idea? We read about it and we are forced to either and, think it's not true or you believe it. And to believe it, you imagine this concept to come true mm -hmm. at some point in the future. Kevin Van Hooser in his book, Hearers and Doers, talks about the imagination. Mere Discipleship by Alistair McGrath, he talks about the imagination. The imagination is an important part of Christian maturity to be able to you imagine. You the book I have sitting over here? Yes, I did. He has mere discipleship over uh, in his stack of books here. Anyway, the uh, imagination is actually a very important aspect of the Christian uh, development. I think Proverbs 2 talks about that concept of imagining, learning to interact and integrate biblical principles and teaching into your life. How do you do that? You have to learn to imagine. Watching TV does not foster imagination. Reading books does. Well, those other mediums do the work for you. They, right. they add visual, they add audio, they're accentuating things that maybe the truth or the original author of, of an idea would not have accentuated. And that, that's where you're receiving a very different message. You're perceiving things differently from an audiovisual standpoint. And it's not to say you can't watch, obviously, audio, video, visual, but it's, it's not helping you the same way reading does. I sure. think you need to understand the different the difference and understanding the difference, you can be more aware of what's going on in your mental capabilities mm -hmm. yes. and even in your feelings. As music mm -hmm. moves you, the music of a movie or the music of a song, what is that doing? And then how does that affect even your mind or what you're thinking? Mm -hmm. And then is that even a correct biblical psychology that your feelings are affecting your mind? So what are we fostering as we listen or as we watch some kind of a show? There's actually a YouTube video uh, that that reminded me of where this guy took a scene from a movie and he put like eight different types of music behind it. it's like a full one minute clip and just changing this the music completely made the scene communicate something different and so if you think about like the typical movie or sitcom that doesn't use plot well to raise tension in the storyline what they have to resort to is tense music they didn't do a good job of making you think it, so they have to use something else to Im insert that when they can't write. So mm. I agree. I think reading is going to help you better in the long run to be a better thinker. Yeah. So we kind of, all three of us, we've kind of got some ideas of ways that we have improved in our reading. And uh, it's going to look differently. Some of us have a list. Some of us have just some, <laughs> like a vague compilation of some ideas. And so we're just going to kind of bounce around here and just more or less a personal testimony of here are the ways that we have in our own lives. And this is another Mr. Pre-Modern staring at me from across the table. It's like, why is it like what is true for you and worked for you is relevant for them? Isn't there just one objective way to be better at reading? Well, these are just the ways that we have found to improve our own personal reading lives. So who would like to start? Andy does. I will dive in. Uh, I've tried to be a better reader for a long time, and I'm still not very good. I don't think. I think it takes me a long time to get through a book. And I think that throughout my life, I had some wrong ideas of what it means to be a good reader. So I'm not an expert. I don't think any of us are, but we're trying. And so one thing that's really helped me is to think of reading as replacement. Reading as replacement. So in my own life, I've always thought, how do I have enough time to read all these books? 
I remember having a teacher at a seminary. He was always talking about books he read, and we asked him, like, how many books do you read? Like, how like how fast do you read? And he said, eh, I probably read, like, two to three books a week. And at that point, I, I mean, I can't remember at this point in my life finishing one book a month at most, you know. Never mind, I can get through season after season of whatever on Netflix, and I know everything on Facebook and Twitter, but Tim's laughing at me. This is great. But for me, that was the one of the big things that helped me was to look at where I'm using up little moments of time on things that don't actually matter and aren't helping me grow. So for me, it was put a 15-minute limit on my phone for Facebook and then try to make it into times to read. Well, and we, we probably shouldn't laugh about an idea like that because... I think maybe with the exception of Dr. Little over here, <laughs> I think most of, I know myself and Andy, you've already talked about it. And probably most of our listeners could share in that experience. It's all too easy to watch 15, 20 episodes or seasons of whatever TV show over and over and over again, but we can't finish a book. Yeah, exactly. Or, and, you know, I think I would even say I can finish a book, but what did I get out of it? Yes. And it's a, that's a whole other issue. So I'll give you a couple of examples of times I, I looked at my life and where, where can I slide some reading in. The first um, was in the morning, I'll eat breakfast and I'll watch stuff on YouTube, whatever, documentary, interesting, random videos. After I'm done eating, generally, like, you want to keep watching. You know, YouTube finds something interesting that, oh, wow, this person's going to jump off a cliff and eat a piece of pie or something. Who knows, whatever is going on on YouTube. So for me, I found that I have to like stop that and pick up a book and read. So that was one time of replacing. The second one is little moments where I'm waiting and I find myself flipping on Facebook. I used to think, man, if I don't have 30 minutes of solid, quiet, very fulfilling time to read, I just I just get on Facebook. But you can actually in like two minutes waiting in line at Subway for a sandwich or two minutes while you're parked in a car waiting for a buddy, you can read a page or two and you can actually learn to remember it. So replacement has been helpful for me. I'm still working on it, but that's definitely something that I would say has been helpful for me. Have you guys experienced that yourselves? Or Yeah, definitely. I remember when I was working on my dissertation, a lot of people have this perception that I need to have, just like you said, 30 minutes or an hour to actually get anything done. Well, sometimes it's just sliced up into 15-minute time slots or whatever. So it applies to writing, reading, whatever. It's a, it's a matter of discipline mm-hmm. and desire. If you really want it, then you'll actually go after it. So I think the bigger issue is just that you don't want it. And it makes me think of Proverbs 2, 4, you know, you need to search for wisdom. We really don't have a desire for reading, for knowledge, for wisdom. What our desire is for is for selfish ambition or just my pleasures and satiating my desires. And just adding to that, people look at reading as a form of entertainment. And that's not a problem. Not to say that we shouldn't do things that excite us or entertain us, but just in general, if that's the principle that governs how I spend my time, I'm going to fall into a lot of mistakes. Yes. And the difficult things in reading, like books that are not easily grasped, things that will require multiple readings and it will not be fun, I will just reject. Mm-hmm. And so getting into that, I think maybe putting it into like your your replacement idea, for me, it's looking at what I'm actually trying to get out of it? Am I just trying to be entertained? And and that's why I'm grabbing the book or more realistically why I'm putting the book down because I'm not entertained. <laughs> Very good point. Very good point. Is that why I'm going to it and, and recognizing that the exercise that I'm seeking has nothing to do with entertainment value. Now, as someone who's read The Lord of the Rings, who's watched the movies, great entertainment out of it. And I've done that with multiple books, multiple movies. That's not a problem. 
but to read better, I can't view reading as a hobby meant for my own entertainment, especially as a, as a tool for communicating truth. I would say that, uh, for me, another turning point on that same topic there about not just wanting to be entertained was when you're thinking of your life and I'm not perfect, I'm trying to work more at this, but when you realize your whole life is meant to serve God and you imagine standing before him one day and you've watched all seven seasons of whatever show, but you didn't study out sanctification or you didn't read a book on this or you didn't learn. I do think that has been a motivator in helping me to replace those things. The other thing that I would say about hard books, I don't want to steal your thunder. Are you going to talk about active and passive reading? No, go for it. Okay. Mortimer Adler in his book, How to Read a Book, which you just picked up. That's such a good book. He says there's active reading and passive reading. I talk about this in Intro to Bible Study. Part of the issue is that sometimes we sit down in that, like what you were just saying, Charlie, the entertainment mode. We're totally passive. We're ready for Netflix or Hulu or whatever. But reading, if it's thinking, you have to be active about it. You have to want to work. And so if I'm in a mode of serving God, work is not something that I'm opposed to. But if I'm in a mode of relaxing and serving myself and pleasing myself, then I'm going to lean passive every single time. That's really so I, good. I do think like that, that am I serving God with my life? Then I need to be reading and exercising my mental muscles so I can better communicate the word to the world, which is like the Great Commission right there. And we've talked about this in the Adventures of Telemachus. What did he recognize from his mentor? What was opposed to reading good books? Voluptuous pleasure. And we've, we've already talked about that enough. We don't have to go into it again. But that is an idea that if you're not aware of that, it will not lead you to more reading. It'll lead you away from reading. It'll lead you to movies and TV shows. So examine your life. What is it that you can take, a, take and get rid of in your life where you can incorporate more reading? Maybe it's a Kindle. You know, I hate those things, but I'd rather pick up a physical book. But in some situations, having a Kindle is, it works. So do it. Delete that game. Um, limit your exposure on, on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or whatever it is you're uh, wasting your time on and do some reading. Man, I hope no one listening to this is on TikTok. That is just data mining to the extreme. <laughs> but well. okay, so I have a thought here. And this is from the uh, already mentioned How to Read a Book. And there's a, a rich history here oh, with this book, book between Andy and I. Mm. I don't even know when this really happened, but I, I know it I was probably tell. later in my college education. I had Professor Stearns for Greek, and I was probably in his office lamenting the large amounts of reading that I had to do. <laughs> you were. And, <laughs> and he's like, hey, you should read this book. And it's called How to Read a Book. And he's like, I've got one. And I'm like, oh, can I borrow that? And he's... He was probably a little apprehensive about it, but he let me take it. And he's like, hey, I've got this all marked up, so like, don't lose it. Well, I didn't lose it, but I actually forgot that I had it. <laughs> and true. I from when I book. took the book from him to when I realized that I had it and gave it back was probably like four or five years. So just to jump in here, if you're a college student and listening to this, and if you're wondering, hey, I wonder if I could borrow Dr. Little's book, guess what that answer is. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Full of grace and truth. Okay. So I think I can remember this. It was the first time you took C.S. Lewis, which would have been, no, no, it was the year before C.S. Lewis. It had been five years ago. And then I didn't get the book. I mean, it was like, I think I, you I, had it I two to it, three years. I think I gave it back to you when I graduated. You did. You did. And I, I was looking, I kept thinking, where's this book? Where's this book? Where's this book? Yeah. And Charlie. So I, I found that I'd had this book. And then I purchased him a newer, nicer copy of it 
as well as purchasing a copy for myself and gave his old one and his new one to him. But anyway, so there's a, there's a great section in here about how fast you read. And again, this gets into that idea of entertainment, wanting something quick, wanting to get it right away. And he makes a couple comments about why trying to read fast is, for lack of a better phrase, is stupid. And this is what he says. Great speed in reading is a dubious achievement. It is a value only if what you have to read is not really worth reading. A better formula is this. Every book should be read no more slowly than it deserves and no more quickly than you can read it with satisfaction and comprehension. The way that this helps me is, I don't know if you guys do this, but I will look at the stack of books I have. I'll look at the things that I want to read that I need to get done and I will frame it in a sense of time. Okay, 30 minutes there. Yep. Or I'm going to spend an hour with this one. And that, that's silly because I don't know how long it's going to take for me to grasp what that book is trying to, to teach me, to commu communicate to me. And so if I'm sitting down to read, you know, a, a, a light book, like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I don't need to needlessly pour over any deeper meaning. Am I missing facts? No, it's right in front of my face. It's a story. It's easy to get, okay? But if I'm reading through, like probably... I can just remember how difficult this was about how much I complained about it. But Kevin Van Hooser has a book about hermeneutics entitled, Is There a Meaning, Is there a meaning in the Text? Is There a Meaning in This Text? That's a good book. And we read that for hermeneutics class in seminary here. And we all complained that we, we hated this book. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Well, in reality, we just, we didn't want to take the time to understand what he was saying. We didn't get anything out of it. We didn't learn. And that took the form of complaining about the book. And I went back and read it or started reading it uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. And I texted the professor, which was Dr. Doug. And I was like, I'm so sorry. This is a great book. And but so for me, what's helpful is not framing what I'm looking at in a, in a, in a time sense, not assuming that it's going to take a certain amount of time, but looking at a book, analyzing it and, and recognizing, OK, this book is going to take a lot more work or less work than I thought. And then reading at the speed that's appropriate. Hmm. So what changed, what was different when you read that book as a textbook and what, uh, when you read it as a pastor or as when you worked here at Faith or whatever, the life situation that you were in at that time? I would, I would, I would describe it in one word as willingness. I was willing to recognize I didn't understand some things and I needed to do the legwork. Okay, so there was some humility there mm -hmm. and then a greater desire. And then th th all of those things would wrap into that willingness and then not only a willingness to, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to approach this and I'm going to take the time, but as you're reading, not to, you're willing not to overlook something and like, oh, I don't need to understand that. And you're like, okay, no, like this is a part of his flow of thought. If I don't understand these things, maybe I'm not going to get the point he's trying to make. And so a willingness to, again, pause my timing and take the extra time to understand the, the points, the terms, the words that he's using, the arguments he's making. Yeah, so you bring up some really good points. Um, one being also that different books require different speeds, okay? You know, I do like uh, book studies every once in a while. We've been doing book studies for a long time. The purpose of a book study is to actually discuss a book. And so that kind of a book would not be The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, okay? That's not a book study kind of book. And I would contend even a lot of your Christian titles like Trusting God by Jerry Bridges, great book. Really but good. it's not a thinking book when you're it's a discipleship book it's a discipleship yeah. book mm -hmm. yep. 
So it's a good book for you to read personally and then grow in your walk with the Lord. A book study book is something that's more philosophical, that's going to create conversation points. I remember reading uh, Saving the Appearances by Barfield with, I think Stearns was there. Yeah, and we then, read that. Man, that was hard. Yeah. And then there was another um, pastor that was there. And I remember him reading like the first sentence, not maybe that was first, but the first or second paragraph of the book. And so after it was read, I just stopped and I said, okay, what did he just say? <laughs> We were driving back and then, from Minneapolis. And then it was like, I have no idea. <laughs> as, and, as the, at the table, not oh yeah, in the grand scheme right. of the world, but at this table as the one who's probably read the most Barfield. That is a very <laughs> common occurrence. <laughs> you read Poetic Diction, which I've read, I think, I've actually made it through twice. I still, like you start reading it again, you're like, what in the world is Owen talking about? Which Owen Barfield, one of the four main thinkling, mm -hmm. not thinklings, yep. main inklings. Yep. And so uh, a worthy man to discuss. But anyway. Well, I would say like, I remember reading that with you. And I do think we read the first paragraph like three times and it was a lot of work. In the end, I remember we had someone in our group later when we read it and he had a better handle on it and that helped to explain it to us. Mm -hmm. And we started to see how Barfield was anticipating postmodernism. If Is that, maybe I'm remembering the wrong book, but... But it was it was work. I would say Trusting God by Bridges, <clears throat> definitely not disparaging that book. I actually read through that with my wife, and we had discussion questions that we went through, and it was a profitable study, but it is it's a different type of it's a different type of thinking. That's more like you're dealing with your heart and your sin and how can you live more. But so I recognize what you're saying. There's certain books that you're engaging the mental muscle and in a different way. Well, and Mortimer and the, the, How to Read a Book, he talks about that. Mm -hmm. There's there's theoretical books, yes. and then there are practical books. Where the, A lot of the, the typical Bible studies, group discussion books mm -hmm. are intended to be practical, but then I've run into this problem trying to lead a discussion through a book yeah. that is low on the thinking. You ask a perceptive question, mm -hmm. or you ask a question that's prompted to you, the practical answer is... A, B, C, hmm. and everybody knows that. What they don't need is to rehearse the answer they already know. They need to think about the concepts and then try to evaluate themselves in light hmm. of it, which a lot of those studies don't really have in them. I mean, you know, as you're thinking through your reading list, maybe you're a student right now and you have all these books that you have to read, I just want to encourage you, those books, at least at our collegiate institution, our professors, they picked those books that you have to read, and they were picked for a reason. Those reasons were because they impacted the professor, and they want you to be impacted in the same way. So any book that I assign, I mean, there's a reason for it, and I want, it, I want you to experience the value in that book just like I experienced the value in that book. Or try to read and to read well uh, as you work through that reading book. So it's about... 20 plus ish minutes in here and we've shared a few kind of principles just floating around. Uh, I've kind of said what I wanted to say about the, the desires, about the willingness to work depending on what a book is. Tim, you've kind of thrown in a lot on the desire front. Do you have any more to say on that? Any other quick tips? Cause I know Andy, you've got a, a, a few got more a few on your more, list that we want to get more. to. So any other things to add, Tim? I've got some more things to add, but why don't, Andy, why don't you take one of yours first? Okay, we talked about reading as replacing. Uh, another thing that was helpful is reading as a conversation. 
I think we probably heard this at the same time, or at least I think I heard it when we were in our THM. Mm. One of the professors said that reading is like a conversation with the author. And I remember thinking that was weird. I didn't understand that. After reading a couple of books on the subject, it helps to think of the author writing a book to explain something and imagining you're having a conversation with them. So when I think of reading as a conversation, my books are like marked to death. Hmm. I've got like questions in the margins. I try to summarize the key thought at the top of the page if I find a good one. I try to mark the book so I can go back and refer to it. But that's all active reading. And I'm thinking of myself as, well, what would the author say to this? Or if she says this, why is she saying that? What's her reasons? Or if he says this, what's he trying to get at? Or, hey, that wasn't very clear. I wonder if they meant this or this. And so having like a conversational thought is helpful rather than just I'm here to absorb everything. Really taking like a critical analysis of it helps, not because you want to put yourself in judgment over it and you're not, they're not an expert or whatever, but because it engages your mind in a different way. So reading as a conversation was helpful for me. I don't know if you guys do anything like that or want to add anything. I, I mark my books up. Uh, I don't write a lot of words, but I definitely see the value in that. And I think that's a really good tip. Yeah, I, I mark things up. I, I'm more of a structural marker. Yes. Like oh, I, yeah. I, I usually underline anytime it's like a, a first, a second, mm-hmm. a third, I'll, I'll underline yes. those things. Usually reserve a highlighter for like spicy things. I'm like, ooh, that's good. <laughs> and I'll usually color code it. Like a green, a green highlight is yellow's the generic. It's like, okay, it is worth highlighting. Green's like, ooh, this is good. And conversely, huh. a red highlight is like, eh, I don't think I agree with that. It's probably something worth highlighting that is a problem. And so that's what I usually do with highlighting and marking. You just don't write things though. That's interesting. I, I do something very similar. I use blue as my structural. So if it's a first or a second or a third, like you said, mm. uh, if a person's like, this is my contention, and there are three reasons for that, highlight the contention in blue and then highlight the beginning of each three reason. Yellow is content under that heading. Orange is important content. And then pink or red is uh, disagreement. Green is names and dates. That's, that's interesting. We're very on the same page. Ooh, I, and same page. Oh, oh. <laughs> Tim rolling his eyes. So hey, we got an eye roll out of Tim. That means this is a good episode. It right? means it's a really good episode. Yeah. That's usually the barometer for a really good I episode. I know. We get Tim's eyes to roll. So on your on your thought of a conversation, I want to do this quick because we are kind of getting long for our standards here. But think about people when they talk to other people take for granted that they're good at conversing. Yes. And I know this because... Whenever I try to talk to certain people, I can talk about random things for ages and ages and ages, but when it's certain people, certain genders, sometimes I struggle having good conversations because I get too nervous and I, when you get nervous, what do you do? You go to default and talk about myself, talk about the things I like. And you know what? That's usually not what other people want to talk about. And you think about that in a conversation with a book, Uh you go to the book this is what I think. This is what I think. Well, this is what I like. This is what I like. This is what I like. And you're not willing to listen to the author and ask the author, okay, what are you trying to say? Oh, what do you good. like? And I would just see how, when, when that's what came into my mind when you talk about a conversation with the author. You almost take for granted, I know I do this, I take for granted that I'm a good converser. It's like, oh yeah, I can carry a conversation. I can ask good questions. When you read, you have to be able to actually converse well. And that means kind of getting out of the way. I don't know. What do you think about that? That is really good. That's actually, that's like our, have we named three virtues now? So that's, that's being unselfish when you read. 
yeah. not wanting to get your agenda across, but actually listen to what the author says. So we had humility earlier. Now we have unselfishness. What was the first one? Uh, oh, serve, serving God. Oh, okay. Desire. Man, it's almost like reading well has a moral component to it. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even talked about how to yeah. read well. Oh, we really focused on well, in this episode. We'll have to reserve that for mm. thoughts on reading part two. <laughs> hey, that sounds good. Okay. Andy, I know you've got a lot more on your list. Just got a, Wrap us up with a couple closing thoughts. A couple quick ones. So I put a book in every room. So I've got piles in various places in my house. I know you have a reading nook. Yes. I always have books on my Kindle. Now, I have a Kindle Paperwhite, which is an e-reader that has e-ink. So it's not a very fast machine. It's like does one trick. It reads. The reason the Paperwhite is nice is because I can't get on Facebook or anything, Twitter, whatever. So if I'm reading on my iPad or my phone, it's easy to get distracted. The Kindle, I know the bookstore manager here doesn't like them as much, but it's still better than a phone. But having a book at, at hand, so when you have a second, that's really good. Start constantly. Do we already say this one? No. I start. I, I used to feel so bad and defeated if I would start a book and never finish it. And I look through my shelves, there's all these unfinished books. And then I was reading a guy's book list, and he said, here's my list of all the books I've read this year. As for the ones I've started and haven't finished, they are scattered all over Tarnation. And the point he's making is that he always starts books and doesn't finish, and that's okay. And I felt like once I had the freedom to start a book and not finish it, it was easier to read, like read with abandon. So I think like those are the things I, that were helpful for me. Like you can start if you don't finish it. It's not like you've wasted something. Unless it's a textbook for my class. Well, that's true, and mine too. <laughs> Need to finish those students. Need to finish those. That's a good point. Okay, Tim, closing thoughts? But keep reading, you know, start in the table of contents and blast through the introduction, maybe read the conclusion, get the overview of the book, read through the headings. Okay. So that's just a good tip on how to read through the book by just summarizing and skimming through. You'd be surprised at how much you get the overview of the book. Then you go back through and then read it for more details. If you know where the author's going and then it's easier to follow their train of thought. Yeah. You gotta, uh, man, this is something uh, Mortimer Adler talks about how to read a book. You cannot read a fiction book the same way you read a book like we're talking about. Right. You don't, you, I'm telling you, I used to pick my college textbooks up and start in page one and go to straight through. You can't do that. You have to look at the mm-hmm. table of contents, study it, look at the conclusion chapter, read it first, make a quick outline in your mind, and then attack it like what you just said. And if you don't do that, you try mm-hmm. to read it like Lord of the Rings, you're going to think your books stink. But actually, you're just not reading them the right way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.